This show and all the content on All About Beer is able to come to you each week, thanks to the companies that support our journalism through advertising. If your company is thinking about 2023 media plans, we have options for every budget. Email info at allaboutbeer.com to learn more. And thanks for the support and keeping us on air and online. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. Gretchen Langfeld of Switchback Brewing is here this week talking about flagship ales, historic equipment, employee ownership, and Rauk beer. We're going to get into it all in a moment, but first, a reminder that All About Beer is back online, and it's producing original content for beer enthusiasts and professionals. You can go visit allaboutbeer.com to see the latest. And if you want to support us in that endeavor, we've set up a Patreon for both readers and professional companies in the beer space. Go check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to learn more. For additional audio content, search All About Beer on your podcast platform of choice, and you can listen to the shows that are now available. And if you're a fan of smoked beer, well, I hope you are, but if you're not, you will be after this episode. So go check out This Week in Rauk Beer. The Facebook group is easy to search, and on Twitter and Instagram, it's at TWRaukBeer. We're able to bring you the show each week thanks to the companies that support independent journalism in the beer space. You can learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates simply by emailing info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that... This episode is brought to you by Pro Brewer. We bring original articles to probrewer.com twice a week, covering issues important to the beer industry and aimed at helping breweries of all sizes understand different facets of the business. You can check out our articles on probrewer.com every Tuesday and Thursday. You can visit the site daily for other original content and to stay connected with the beer industry. Over the summer, I spent a delightful evening at Switchback, the venerable Vermont brewery. And there, I got to talking with Gretchen Langfeld over beers and during a tour of the brewery. And at the time, I was really bummed that I didn't have my mobile recording kit with me. But now, here we are, and she's here this week via Zoom for the show, and I could not be happier. After graduating Notre Dame with an engineering degree, she started working at Switchback one day a week and then eventually full-time. Today, she's the engineer and brand marketing leader for the brewery. And we're going to talk about engineering and marketing, plus beer and employee ownership. And yes, true believers, we will eventually get into Rauk beer. But I started off by asking about the physical building and the equipment inside. As you'll hear, it's truly a special place worth many visits. Here's our conversation. Having visited the brewery several times, including over the summer when we had a a, a, a lot of fun, um, I'm I've always been struck by the sort of I was going to say slapdash, but that's not fair. Um, but the it's it's kind of like a Frankenstein brewery. Is is that fair? Um, Frankenstein's think, Monsters Brewery. I guess yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we you know we put. Uh, a lot of focus on getting the the right equipment um, to do, you know, the the get the precision and consistency we want. Um, and sometimes that means, you know, some older equipment um, that's not quite as shiny and and as pretty when it was made back in the '60s or the the '90s. Um, but the the level of um, you know technical. Uh, 
bells and whistles that they have is is more than we could have probably gotten at that time of the Curry's history, um, you know, financially. So it's, you know, we haven't just gone all in on one one manufacturer or anything. Um, so there is a little bit of a, a hybrid uh, look as far as manufacturers and uh, age of some of the equipment. Yeah, but an engineering background, I imagine, has come into to play with figuring out how to not only match different manufacturers, but also different decades of equipment. Yeah, um, definitely have learned a lot from <laughs> whether it's, you know, German electrical schematics versus American electrical um, and just how, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a controls or programming engineer, but um, I've gotten further into that over the years and just the, the way, you know, Older equipment was actually simpler in a lot of ways, and that's sort of the beauty of it is you don't get hung up on some of these uh, newfangled sensors, you know, that want to watch um, every little door that opens. So uh, it really, really challenged me. It still really challenges me to, to figure out every different piece of equipment. And, and truthfully, you know, day in and day out now, I'm not out on the production floor very much. Um, so I deal mostly with the installs, you know, procuring equipment, get it in, get it started up. And then I really hand it over to our production team. So, um, you know, they truthfully know a lot more about our newer equipment than I do. <laughs> well, when you are thinking about procuring new equipment, though, for the brewery, are you thinking about how it will fit into the jigsaw puzzle that is the existing brewery? Yeah, both um, physically, you know, we've. I give Bill a lot of credit, you know, don't tell him that, but uh, he very early <laughs> he doesn't on, listen to the show. That's I know. fine. <laughs> he doesn't know what a podcast is, um, <laughs> but you know, very early on, even, you know, we only had a small portion of this building initially. We've been, we've brewed here since day one, but we were a, a pretty small section of the building that was actually our space. And even from then, you know, he had kind of, I think a rough idea of, okay, long-term, this is where a bigger boiler would go, or this is where a bigger brew house would go. Um, so my kind of first introduction to that was when we started planning for our, our big, so our 66 barrel brew house and the fermentation cellar, which we didn't even start for, I think a year or two after we put that brew house in. But when we did that, you know, he was like, put in or plan for all of the glycol drops for every single tank that can ever get in here. So we have over the years never had to, you know, shut down our loop and and put in a new um, drop because I know this is getting a little wonky technical. No, but, but I, I mean, um, to have the foresight for that and, yeah, and also the and, means you know, and the ability to is, is, is exactly. Huge. Yeah. You put, you put some money out, out front and certainly some effort, but it's made, you know, just dropping in a new tank um, so, so easy. And, you know, it's, it, there's still a lot go that goes into that process, but it doesn't disrupt everything. Um, and there are certainly things we've done where we've been like, yeah, no, that was not, that's not what we ended up doing, but <laughs> it would have cost us a lot more to, to not do some things. Um, so like, you know, it just, it, the pre-planning, but not getting so cemented into something that you can't, um, you know, pivot as, as technology changes and as, as market demand changes. Um, you know, yeah, we went from kegging to bottling and now to canning and we're doing all through it three and we're, I, I love that. <laughs> um, I imagine that there are some, some shops and distributors though, that are frustrated <laughs> by having all three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are, I think probably one of the last breweries standing that is uh, continuing to do 22 ounce bombers that are actually selling. Um, I'm sure there are others out there, but you know, for, 
for uh, for that to have. It's been ten years now, and I, I my understanding is we're pretty much the only one that uh, that still consistently pulls through. The issue being that you know shelves are literally they never they no longer size the height of the shelves for a bomber. So yeah, um, unfortunately, that may may disappear. Uh, do you have any insight as to who's interested in picking up bombers these days? Um, you know, just from watching it in the tap room, I think it's the folks who've been buying the bombers for, for 10 years. I think that's how they drink switch back. That's how they, um, they want to enjoy it. Um, I don't think it's as much of the, you know, in my mind, and this is a little silly, but it kind of used to be the, the sampling, you know, size, which sounds crazy because it's so big, but it was like a sharing sample, you know, you'd bring it to yeah. your beer share or you'd, you know, and I think now with being able to single grab cans or just having bars that, you know, have 24 taps on the, the bottle shops of the world aren't necessarily bottle shops anymore. They're, they're can shops. Um, and yeah, the 22s of, you know, they'll have their heyday. They'll come back. <laughs> Everything's cyclical, right? <laughs> Wait, do you really believe that? Because I, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody else in brewing in the last five years say that. Yeah, no, I don't think 22s are going to come back. I was being a little sarcastic there. <laughs> I mean, if anything, I think there's people I think who would like to see it come back, but yeah, yeah. And a lot of times I think some of that's driven by um, the material manufacturers, you know, are, are the glass manufacturers going to keep making 22s? Yeah. yeah. Um, but also I mean, you guys do stubby bottles as well. I, I don't do. know the technical term for, for that particular shape of bottle, but I, it's, a little taller than a red stripe, I guess. Yeah, ours is a little more defined. Um, it's a it's a slightly different shape than the red stripe, um, and then I think uh, you know I believe uh, uh, Coors also has a, a stubby that they do Coors Banquet in sometimes. Okay, um, that's so probably stubby, the more. I don't even know if red stripe is still being made, so that's <laughs> I'm dating myself. <laughs> it's kind of vacation beer, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, our stubby is. We, we do not own the mold, um, but we are one of the few breweries that we know of that does use that that specific mold. So it's a pretty, um, you know, my our understanding was that we were the biggest uh, buyer of, of that bottle. So I think it has become a little bit, um, you know, for most people tied to, to switchback ale or switchback in, in general. And we love it. You know, it's just kind of fun to hold, fun to drink out of. Um, then you get all those, those extra perks of it's a little bit lighter. Um, weight wise. So shipping is not as much. Um, and you can get more on a pallet because the height. So you kind of all those advantages that people like about cans and it's got some of those as well. Yeah. There, there's something interesting about, and I've, I've talked about this on the show of, uh, going back to bottles now and again, and, and sort of the, um, the throwback nature or the, you know, I, I think somebody even on the show described it as like the romanticism of, uh, of beer a little bit of, you know, it's harder with a stubby, um, but just holding a beer by, by the neck of the bottle or, um, you know, just the different texture, um, it, it, sort of in the similar vein of, of, of the 22s, do, do you have an understanding of like, when it comes to like switchback, uh, when it comes to like switchback ale, um, are there people who still prefer bottles over cans or is it just people are grabbing whatever's available at the time? I think there are definitely people who prefer one or the other. Um, but I, I think folks have gotten over, most folks have gotten over the initial, I'm a bottle person or I'm a can person. Um, I think the, the variety of ways, you know, you can, 
uh, experience a drinking switchback is, is sort of what, you know, it's, it's the ale for all, all occasions, <laughs> um, you know, that if, if you want it in the can, if you want it in the bomber, if you want the 16 ounce, if you want a draft, if you want it stubby, um, it's, it's, you know, perfect for whatever, if you ask me, yeah. um, but that, that diehard of like, I only drink out of glass or I only bring cans, um, I, I think is less, less than it was, you know, when people were hardcore one way or the other. Yeah. Do, do you think, I mean, for the foreseeable future though, the 12 ounce bottles aren't going anywhere. No, we're still, you know, people are still, uh, enjoying drinking out of them and buying them um we are we did just actually install and did our first run about to do our second um on a can labeler um because you know part of the difficulty with cans is having to order truckloads of pre-printed and you know that really limits what beers you can put in those cans you know you don't need a hundred barrels of everything you ever make um yeah. so we are actively uh changing over that actually our little sneak peek our dualies uh belated porter is going to be officially debuted in 16 ounce cans think end of next week the week after so you know you gotta gotta go where the market is a little bit um and also just keeping things fresh you know that dually's been around for a while and let's give it a little uh little new look and in a new way for for people to enjoy it i mean there are there are beers that you all make and I loved being there over the summer because you know, I was mostly drinking rock beer, but um, there's something that is and has always been reliable about Switchback when it comes to these are the beers that I remember cutting my teeth on when I first got into, you know, locally made beer, when I got into, you know, craft or micro or, you know, whatever we were calling it at the time. Um, and I, I think there are brewers that, you know, have only stayed in the past and switchback is not one of them but you all continue to make the styles that the industry was built on you know there's like you know like the porter like the brown i mean there's just still a pretty simple pale ale uh, if i'm remembering correctly um you guys even do a red ale if i'm not mistaken yeah um, roasted red ale yep. yeah um but then also you know you, you're doing hazies and you're doing you know the lagers that uh folks are looking for these days um I, giving the porter a refresh in a, in a in a 16 ounce can is is that a chance to introduce a style that some may see as stodgy to a new generation yeah, I think the the introducing it to to new people is definitely um, you know where what we're trying to do because yeah you you know you see what your your parents drink or something and you may you may not gravitate towards that um, you know there's that nostalgia factor but at some point you also want to try something new for yourself um, and just you know those those like those those categories or those styles you talked about you know those are what brewing was built on. And just because, excuse me, we're, you know, zany things are coming out doesn't mean those aren't still quality um, beers and styles to, to go with. So, you know, we certainly have made some stuff that we'll periodically bring back out, but don't, you know, don't get a, an every year release. Whereas with Dooley's Porter and Roasted Red and Extra Pale Ale, you know, those and Slow Fermented Brown, those have quite the following for us. And, you know, we get yelled at when we don't put them out <laughs> when people expect it. Um, so you, as you, you pointed out, you know, we are doing a lot of new stuff too, but we think there's room for 
for all of that, you know, especially with our taproom now being able to sell more direct to consumer out of here. Um, and, you know, having the distributors see that where we are more than ale and there's things that can really complement ale from a, from a, you know, family perspective. Can you go a little bit deeper on that, on how that those relationships work with, you know, finding the complementary sales? Yeah. I mean, I think, I hope we've built a really solid, um, you know, uh, name and reliability for people. You know, they, they get a switch back ale and they're really happy, but you know, like anyone, I want to drink a different beer every now and then too. Um, and especially when there's, you know, a billion beers out there, you start gravitating towards the things you, you trust and, you know, and we've seen that a lot with, uh, you know, people just commenting or, or when we do release something new, they go, Oh yeah, you make good stuff. I'll, I'll give this a shot. <laughs> um, and that's a little self-congratulatory, but I think, you know, for we've over 20 years of, have, you know, proven that, that ale, you know, ale is always going to be there and it's always going to be consistent. It's always going to taste great. So we, we do that with all of our beers too. And even if they're not available year round. So can we talk about uh, switchback ale a little bit? And I like that you're just calling it ale. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to train myself not to do that. Actually, no, no, no. So. <laughs> but, but but that's a very Vermont thing. Um, it's almost like being in Pennsylvania, where people order lager and expect to get a Yangling in return. Um, I, I I like that it's just been reduced to the style um, or the broader category. Um, what is switchback ale? Can, can it be defined? Yeah, I mean, I can't, um, you know, I think maybe somewhere in his head, Bill I mean, you has said, a, a you couple said, you different... said you're the marketing lead. I, I, <laughs> I know I... that's a bit of an issue, right? <laughs> um, you know, it's, I think it, it's, it's one of those beers that you never get tired of and not because it's so wild. It's almost that it's so subtle in its complexity. I think that you drink it and some days, you know, you, you get this known. Some days you taste something else and it, it doesn't overwhelm, but it also doesn't, you know, disappear. So, you know, there are some beers you, you drink and you kind of forgot you drank it from a, a taste perspective. Um, I don't get that ever with ale. Uh, you know, you, you drink it, you enjoy like during the summer. Sometimes you get some of those um, kind of fruity notes from the yeast and during the winter, I think it's a little maltier for me. It's not necessarily the beers changing. I think just seasonally what you're feeling and what, you know, what you're eating with it, any of those things can, can affect what, what you're getting out of it. Um, so it, you know, complex, but not overwhelming is my, uh, <laughs> is my sort of two word, um, not yeah. very marketing savvy uh, description of it. <laughs> well, I, I, I also wonder though, if, if, you all tried to put it into a better defined box if drinker's relationship with it would change. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's been conversations uh, online, um, uh, even on the show, we were talking when I was out in uh, Portland a couple of weeks ago, um, talking about amber ales and how, you know, people say that they love amber ales and then nobody buys amber ales and brewers right. are hesitant to make them. Um, if, if, if you all were to you know, better define this just for market sake, could it wind up damaging 
the beer. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that is a, you know, if you tell people what they're supposed to be experiencing, then they, they start drawing a line, you know, whether they're whichever side of the line they're on. Um, and I think leaving it a little more open-ended uh, can, can allow people to sort of come up with their own um, feelings for it. And a lot of times, you know, I talk a lot about the flavor and taste of it, but it's, it's what you were doing. That's who you were with. I know that sounds kind of hokey, but you know, if you were going to UVM up here in a certain era, that was the beer you drink when you're out at bars, when you turn 21, you know, if you were uh, a little older and that was the beer that your friends had at their wedding, like it's, it's those kind of nostalgic things, but you don't only, only want to live in the past. So I think also having it just be day in and day out this, this uh, anomaly a little bit that we're not telling you it's an amber. We're not telling you it's a, it's a weed because it's not, you know, menus. It's hilarious. Some menus I'll go to, you know, you go to five different restaurants and you get five different, like one word descriptions of what it is. And I'm like, restaurants can't even figure it out. You know, <laughs> um, that's fun though. Um, yeah. and it, it, choose your own adventure. <laughs> yeah. But see, I, and that's sort of the, those early days of craft as well of, the exploration and, and, and the fun behind it. And is that, I mean, you're mentioning, you know, certain eras of, you know, when folks were in school or weddings or, or, or things like that. Um, I mean, so many of the new, new to craft drinkers um, are largely exposed to hazy IPA um, or kettle sours or, um, you know, big boozy uh, you know, imperial pastry stouts like that, that kind of thing is, is this still a gateway beer for new drinkers in Vermont as best you can tell? Yeah, I definitely think it is. Um, you know, we've, we've always joked that the, uh, and I certainly do not condone littering, uh, but we've always joked, joked that the, the true, uh, you know, test of whether your beer is being consumed and is seeing the empties on the side of the road. And it is, it's funny, you know, you're like, oh, wow. Out in the, after a college party, you see a bunch of empty, you know, switchback hands and maybe not, you know, strewn everywhere hopefully but one here or there when people are walking to the bar and you're like all right it's still working <laughs> so a lot of cans on the side of the road not as many bombs no no i mean yeah. you know it's it's one and it's i was actually i just i was charging my car recently uh at like a public charger and i plugged in and i looked behind it and there was a, an empty 16 ounce of ale and i had one of the moments where i was like oh and then went oh actually that's great <laughs> So I picked it up, you know, right, recycled good, it, but good. And it was not me for the record. I, I, I was going <laughs> to say, it's like, oh, it's still there from the last time yeah. I purchased the car. Yeah. Um, that's fun though. Uh, and in being that, that, that gateway, um, because I think that this is what a lot of brewers around the country are, uh, you know, are struggling with when it comes to flagships or, you know, beers that they want to be known for, um, you know, but are sort of golden handcuffed into, well, let's make what just the market demands kind of thing. When you all got into, you know, making, uh, you know, the, the, the hazies, right. And that's, that, is that the cat series? Yeah. Our double IPA cat series. Yeah. When you all started doing that, was there a, I, I guess what was the thought behind it? Was it, this is where the market is going and we need to as well. Was it brewery it was, passion? Was it? Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it came from, I think, uh, Brewer Passion. You know, Morgan, she's our, our kind of pilot innovation brewer. She and Bill and Tony, our head brewer, I think we're just shooting around some ideas one day. And I, I think it came a little bit out of her just challenging herself, saying, I want to figure out how to make a, IPA, a double IPA that that doesn't make me feel horrible afterwards, you know, um, but also to do something kind of original. And she was just playing with it. And then we we're kind of like, oh, wait a minute, this is fun. You know, and I think initially, uh, truthfully, I was actually on vacation when all this came about and I came back and Bill goes, okay, just bear with me. <laughs> and he was like, here's what we're naming yeah. it. Here's what we're thinking. And I was like, whatever, let's try it. You know? And as soon as we had it, you know, we found ourselves, we were all like, Ooh, you know, I want to try that. I want to try this. And we sort of discovered we all had this sort of underlying interest in playing around with these things, you know, and going, we can do this too. You know, just because we don't historically do it or, um, you know, other people are doing, it doesn't mean we can't do our own twists on it. And I think we really have with, you know, being really hop and fruit forward and less um, bitter forward. So, you know, in the alcohol to me, frighteningly enough, you don't really taste that 9.1%. And that's been, you know, it can be good or bad. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it all just depends on moderation on the next day. Exactly. <laughs> um, what was the initial response though, from the marketplace where they know you for porters and pale ales and indescribable ale yeah i don't actually i don't think we got a whole lot of you know you you get those rogue facebook instagram posts of like you guys don't do this type of thing but i think we were bracing ourselves for more of that than we actually received i think we got a lot more of oh this is so fun you know in the the artwork on the can we worked with our graphic designer mark who's been doing our uh you know, art since day one. And he actually um, went to his buddy from design school and they came up with those, you know, those cat illustrations. And I think that was part of it is really showing we're, we're not trying to say this is the next iteration of Switchback Ale. We're trying to say, this is something we want to do as a brewery. It kind of represents a little bit of the younger, newy, newer brewing um, innovations that, that we've been doing. And, you know, I'm one of the old ones here now. <laughs> so <laughs> to, to have a, uh, you know, some of this kind of youthful, youthful ideas and, and inflate and taste, uh, come through is, is fantastic. I feel like that's a pretty good transition into how the brewery became an ESOP, uh, employee owned, um, what we were saying about five, five, six years ago, mm-hmm. um, um, and keeping it youthful, keeping it moving forward in a, in a, in a positive direction. Um, when you know you look around and you see fellow owners and you see folks who have you know skin in this game um there's got to be a well i imagine there's a a larger push to say okay well you know how do we keep the lights on how do we keep them shining bright um and new beers is certainly a, a a smart way for that yeah so uh i think it was 2017 i should i should know but um Bill and Jeff, our other co-founder, um, made the transaction for us to be 100% employee-owned, um, where I believe one of only a couple uh, breweries that are fully 100% um, as of now. I know there's some others that are trying to get to that point, um, but they went all in and said, "No, this is this is the direction we're going. Um, you know, this is we want this to be to be all all of ours uh, moving forward," and. I really think, you know, it was more or less overnight, the the crew that was here was kind of like, oh, wait, you know, yeah, there is going to be a future someday without Bill at the helm. Um, and that's both 
frightening <laughs> and exciting from a, you know, we, we've got careers ahead of us and, and it's not, you know, our, we, Bill's always done a very good job of taking all of our input and, you know, floating ideas by all of us. I mean, before we did the bottling line, he literally said, you know, where do we want to go with this? You know, and then before we went to 12 ounce, he said, are, do we, what are you, what are your guys' thoughts? What do you want quality of life to be? Um, so it's always been very inclusive, but when, when it's actually down to ownership, I think it really came like, oh no, we are all officially owners now. Um, so bring the new ideas to the table. Let's run with some things. And it certainly has, yeah, the whole cat series came out of that. Um, some of our barrel age stuff, uh, Alex, who does our barrel aging, you know, there, there's been a lot of things that we didn't even really consider, you know, eight years ago and probably not from a, that it, we weren't employee owned is more of just, you know, people were just doing their job, <laughs> not, not, not planning on being owners necessarily. Yeah. What have you learned in the last five years since since this change? ESOPs are very convoluted financial agreements. <laughs> that's that's the biggest takeaway for me. Um, no, uh, that, no, that but I, that, that's true though, right? I, yeah, that's a <laughs> yeah. Because I know there's there's people who it has been seen as a a, a way of ensuring. Um, you know, a, bre- a brewer's future, um, you know, the word independence gets thrown around a lot. Um, you know, there's a, um, you know, a very local sense behind a lot of breweries, and this is a way to to kind of keep that going. And uh, we've seen that some have been longstanding. We've seen others that have uh, lasted for a few years before a larger company comes in and makes an offer and buys out all of the employee owners. Um, you know, but it is, it's not just as easy as, cool, I'm an owner now. Like there are there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, I think we still don't even understand exactly how it <laughs> how it works day in and day out sometimes. And I say that from I'm not on the financial side of it for the most yeah. part. So there are people who do get it. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it initially puts you in a pretty, uh, you really have to, you know, it's not just us as a privately owned company anymore that can make our own decisions based on what we think is appropriate. You actually have a trust and a, you know, a bank looking over your shoulder saying, well, we don't know about that. You're like, but clearly in order to make more beer, we need this thing. Um, And that's just for the first few years. Well, you know, some of the, the initial transaction um, items are being ironed out, but you know, from a, from the positive side of things, um, you know, internally, I think, like I said, the, the crew, um, it gave us, it's all a, a new sense of respect for <laughs> how uh, how daunting some of these decisions can be, but also a really a, a pride that we already have, but it certainly um, grew when we became, we could say, yeah, no, we're owners. Um, and then, in you know, from Vermont, it's a very, Vermont's very supportive of other Vermonters and even before all of this, but especially now that, you know, it's not just one owner. It's it's thirty five of us. I can't even remember how many of us. Um, but you get a lot of. I love that you're employee owned. I love that you guys are still independent. So I'm going to go drink your beer for that. Plus, I really like it. <laughs> I mean, that that's great because it it, it it's an, it's just another way to resonate with with customers um, with with drinkers who walk in day in and day out. And I I know when I put on my consumer hat, I always feel better about knowing where my dollars are going. And you know, I think that 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 sort of plays plays into it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, when I go out and buy a beer, I'm not thinking about that with every purchase, but it certainly does, you know, when you're deciding between two or, you know, especially when you're in the brewing scene, you're kind of like, oh, I like those guys. I'm going to try that. Or yeah. I'm going between these two 12 packs. Yeah, I'm going to go with this direction. And I, I think that plays the consumer. I actually think it plays, you know, we're, we're still pretty regional. Um, we're most mostly only New England and, and New York. And, you know, New England's kind of funny in that way that New Hampshire and Vermont, I think we, in some ways, not for everything, but consider ourselves like, you know, you're like, oh, it's still regional. Like New Hampshire beer, I'll support them just as much as I support Vermont beer. And, you know, it, it people take pride in, in supporting that and also kind of having a relationship, whether it's just having come into the tap room once or their cousin's best friend works here. You know, there's everyone's related somehow. Yeah. Uh. So there are, I don't know, maybe four, five listeners right now who've been uh, <laughs> listening to us talk, uh, who are screaming <laughs> at the radio saying, when are you going to talk about Rauk Pier? <laughs> so um, I know from hanging out with you, it, it is it is also, that style is also a passion uh, for you. Um, tell me about your love of Rauk Pier. How long do we have? No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I truthfully, um, I mean, I had Schlenkerle at some point. I don't know when, but, you know, some beer bar probably mid, early 2000s. And I was like, that's a smoked beer. Okay. And didn't really think about it too much after that. And then uh, one of the cool things that uh, we do here at Switchback is, I don't know when Bill even came up with this, but when you hit the 10-year mark as an employee, you get a free trip to Germany. And I was actually the first one to hit that mark. And so I went in 2015, I believe. And during my trip, um, I walked out a few days and said, I'm going to Bamberg. Um, and which was odd because again, I didn't really consider myself a smoked beer fan, <laughs> but right. felt like, you know, you're in Germany, you got to do this. And I could just, I could, well, I can't paint at all, but I could paint you a picture of exactly where I was sitting for that first smoked beer. And it was just sitting on this little side, you know, the street and having the beer and went, huh, all right. I got another one. And then I was like, I was sold. Um, and that was it. And as the trip progressed, you know, I left and met up with my, my brothers, my sister-in-law actually came over and I carried one Schlenkerla around in my bag that I was going to bring back to the brewery. And about a week later, I was like, man, I just miss a good smoked beer. <laughs> so we cracked it open when we were in Austria. I didn't even bring it back. <laughs> um, so that was kind of what kicked it off for me. Um, and, you know, unbeknownst to me, I guess Bill had been kind of noodling around with thinking about smoked malts and flavor profiles. Um, and at some point when I came back, I mentioned something about smoked beers. And he sort of was like, all right, well, you know, I've been thinking about it too. So um Really, I think it was, he'd already been kind of going through the thought exercise of what smoked beer can be and how we can push that past um, just the traditional beers, which are what, you know, what we all were introduced with and what I still love. Um, but we've kind of got a little wild with it. You you have. And that's what I love about the Flynn on Fire series, um, which I, I, Flynn Avenue is is the road that the brewery is on. Just Correct. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I mean... It, the Cezanne and um, I, I want to say there's an oyster stout that I had a while back and yep. um, an IPA. And um, so 
I think porters and and you know hells have been the you know the two styles that that folks have have uh, really embraced over over the years. But um, walk me through just a little bit about how you all are coming up with you know, where you want to put smoked malt. Is anything off the table at this point? I don't think anything's off the table. I think there have been things we have thought about and gotten. Well, I don't know if if we've quite figured out how to, if that's the right direction we want to go right now. <laughs> you know, not sure we're going to get a smoked lambic anytime soon, but that's probably more from a lambic perspective than <laughs> than uh, the, the smoke ball. Um, yeah, I mean, I still, I think Smoke 40, which is our smoked IPA, is one of the, the craziest beers um, I've ever had just because it's, it's like, it's a different smokiness. It's an IPA, but it's so um, pineapple fruit forward, but the the smoke kind of balances into the savory side. So that's what we've really discovered is that smoke doesn't have to be the only element. And I think traditionally it's been this beer smoke. It's going to slap you across the face with that. Um, yeah. We've certainly got those. We love those too, but you know, there can be a spectrum of this. And we've actually, you know, created our own little smokeometer, um, which, you know, explains how much smoke is actually in smoke malt is in the beer. And, um, and, you know, everyone's perception is different, but hopefully it, it introduces some people to different ways to, to utilize that flavor. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you're trying stuff, is it okay? Maybe this will see the light of day. Maybe this will see a 22, um, or maybe we're just going to be you know, crying a little bit as we, as we, as we dump it down the drain or <laughs> do, do you have now at this point, a, when you're thinking about new, new beers for that series, um, do you have a pretty good understanding of how things are going to turn out in the end? I think we do. I think the a lot of times the 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 level of smoke is what we end up dialing in through the pilot process. You know, it's it's not as much as we were going for. It's you know way way too subtle. Um, we actually initially our our gateway smoked beer, which is you know pun intended, called Gates of Hellas. Yeah. Uh, we actually sort of reinvented that. I mean, that still lives, uh, but we we created another one called Hellas Vent, which is a smoked Hellas that's just slightly amped up because we decided, you know, after a couple of years, people didn't need that gateway to be quite as low. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of times the the level of, of smoke malt use is what we're really dialing in. And then, you know, specifically, I think for the IPA, um, finding the right uh, hot profile to that would that would complement um, that smoke ball. So the IPA was a uh, a success. Um, have there been ones where, okay, hey, we tried that. We don't ever have to to make that again. We have not. I don't believe we've shelved a smoked beer that we you know we put out yet. Um, shouldn't say yet we never yeah. will no. <laughs> we don't put stuff out we're not going to drink um you know there there are ones that are just actually you know I'm, I'm thinking about it and it's funny like my my first instinct was like oh blackstrap that's the crowd pleaser well we actually haven't made blackstrap i think in over a year it's about to be released i think this week or we just put it out on the shelves here and we're going to put it on tap and it we actually are struggling with we've got so many of them that we want to rotate through that some of them just don't get showcased as much. <laughs> I, I know um, I have a bottle of uh, Blackstrap here in the cellar, but I, for the life of me, can't remember 
what it is. It's in a swing top bottle. Okay. So that's the barrel aged uh, okay. strap, which we lovingly call Paps. Um, so that one, so our black strap is, is sort of a take, uh, a takeoff on uh, Kansas city barbecue. Um, okay. you know, Bill, Bill was the brewmaster out at Boulevard for a while. So he had this like, all right, smoky, sweet, let's see what we can do here. Um, and then we thought it would be fun to throw that into a barrel. So we put it into uh stone cutter whiskey barrels. Um, we've actually done a couple different iterations of it. One was more of a, a blend, um, of barrels, but that one is a little more high octane. Um, and I guess I should be opening that, that kind soon. of woody. Yeah. Okay. Um, I actually had some the other night from our newer batch of it and it still tastes great. It's got some nice vanilla to it. And the smoke certainly is not as upfront as it is with the, you know, the unbarrel aged, but it's, it's still underlying um, there. And then you've got those, those fun whiskey flavors. Yeah. It's a good winter beer. Okay. I, I- have you seen, I mean, we make jokes on, on, on the show about rock beer quite a bit, cause it's probably the most polarizing style. Um, but since you've been making it, have, have you seen an actual like growth of consumer interest? We have it's, uh, you know, it's funny when people walk into the tap room, I was noticing it this summer and you, you know, people walk in, they do that glance left and right. And then they look up at the menu board and then they, you know, they kind of stand there sort of eyes glazed over for a minute, try to sort things through. And then they go, we're here because we hear you heard, we heard you make smoked beers, <laughs> you know, question mark slash <laughs> that's why we're here. We think. Right. And, and then they go, Oh yeah, I want one of the Flint on fire. Or I want a Flint on fire. And we're like, well, there's five of them on tap, which one. And then right. they're, you know, you can just see them kind of like, Oh, <laughs> all right. So, you know, words certainly getting out. I don't know. I think it's through your podcast, honestly. Um, <laughs> all 12 of those listeners came in. <laughs> wow, we've doubled the audience. Thanks so much. Just, you say it. Now suddenly we're at a dozen. Cool. And it's, and, you know, it is, it's, it's opening some doors for us too, just from a, uh, we're hoping to be part of, I think, actually, I think this was uh, via you, that the smoke beer event at the CBC and oh, yeah. some, some things like that, because, you know, it's those specialty events. I'd love to bring ale and uh, things to those, but that's, you know, people want to try stuff that they, they can't get on the shelves regularly. So um, and it, it's great for us to be able to talk about other things. You know, we did savor the last, well, we did it this past year and then we did it pre COVID. So whatever year that right. was, um, and that was so much fun. And we actually, you know, it's down in DC and we have all these people coming up to us and saying, Oh, you didn't bring switchback ale. And we're like, you wanted us to bring switchback ale to savor, man, yeah. maybe we missed it here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but those events are made for, or should be made for exploration and for exactly. trying. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't actually know if we, if, if the guys at, uh, Brick Brewing and Blending have, have formally announced it yet. Uh, but yeah, yes. so you can cut that out. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm going to keep it in. And, uh, uh, Spencer Longhurst, who I think is listening is now scrambling to get the website going. Um, <laughs> We're gonna do a a, a camp rauk beer event at uh, Barik Brewing and Blending uh, during the Craft Brewers Conference in Nashville uh, in May. So I forget the particular date. I think it's the Wednesday of uh, might be the ninth thereabouts. But um, we'll have much more information on that. But it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. And 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 I love that you know brewers get jazzed about it. That there is like an actual interest. Like it can be a goofy thing, but there is there's so much work that goes into making sure that the smoke is dialed in correctly, that the, you know, that the malts are doing what you want them to do and then trying new things that uh, it's, it's just another Avenue of, of, of exploration. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, 
yeah go ahead we're, we're, we're having a great time with it and we got more coming down the way too so <laughs> with that in mind with exploration in mind where where are your interests leading you these days beer wise what do you want to be exploring you know we're coming up on a new year people talk about resolutions they talk about you know trying to learn new skills or figure out new things is there is there something that is of interest to you that you want to be on the path for um that's a good question i have not really thought about that <laughs> um from a from a true beer perspective um probably yeah i i think finding or continuing to with the the smoke beers um almost i you know i do think they can be everyday beers <laughs> you know maybe not all of them but i think just continuing to work through whether it's the hellas or other things of of for, you know on the on the some kind of marketing side of like let's get these things in a six packs and you know they don't have to be just special occasion beers let's let's see uh how how we feel personally you know initially um just that's that's the six pack you grab when you're going to the picnic type of thing um i would like to continue going that direction since i think it's been tabled for you know a couple hundred years yeah <laughs> as people moved away from the smoke and it's like you know what i think it's there um maybe not for everyone and i know you're laughing at this probably <laughs> no <but. laughs> no no I'm, I'm not actually I, I i love hearing it and i'm 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 here for it that's and, yeah and up till now you know our those smoked beers for us have only been in the 22 ounce bottles and we're we're working towards getting them into the cans with the, the new labeler and nice. i have i have considered them you know, special occasion beers because they were in 22s. And, you know, I think getting them into cans will will certainly for my own, my own perspective, kind of be like, no, 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 just grab one of this. That's just your, you know, you're out doing some yard work or you're, you're just watching a game and grab it. The first time, please, please, please. The first time that you spot Rauk beer cans on the side of the road in Vermont. <laughs> I will take a please picture. send me a note. Yeah, please immediately. And I promise not to plant it. I'm I'm honest. I won't do that. Um, <laughs> It'll be a big scandal. I've been <laughs> I've been asking folks the green door question on the show for quite some time now. Uh, with the premise being that in the early parts of the pandemic, my wife and I were re-watching the Good Place television show. And in the last season, they introduced this concept of a green door where you can walk through it and be anywhere at any point in, in, in time um, doing whatever you want to be doing. And so if we had a door on our plane of existence that worked that way, and you could walk through it when this conversation was over, and you could go into any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? Wow. I should have uh, listened to more of the most recent podcasts and been ready for this question. <laughs> oh, um, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> my mind quickly, I don't know if this would be my question in an hour or my answer in an hour, but my mind quickly went to, you know, I don't uh, hold me to whatever year this sure. was, but, no, that's fine. you know, Germany, when they had, you know, the, the women, the sisters, the mothers, they all ran the breweries. They were these beautiful, um, 
big family breweries, you know, the house was attached to it. Uh, Bill's told me all these stories about he went to get some equipment years ago from a place and he walked in and like, there's the three sisters and the mom, and, you know, the, the brothers and the dad were kind of shoved off to the side a little bit. And there's this beautiful ornate like entryway, you know, and the, the equipment is just pristine. It's polished all the time. And I think that, can you tell in German, I think yeah, that right. attention to detail and just that idea of, you know, this is our life's work and we do it as a family um, is pretty amazing. Uh, and, you know, I don't work with family members, but I think having worked here almost 20 years, that kind of idea of like you're, you really trust and love the people you're working with is, is pretty amazing. And that you hope for it to continue to continue to go for generations. And I think that's sort of what, you know, with the ESOP, not to bring it yeah. back to the present no, right that's... away. Um you know, and certainly there's some probably not great things about how things were 200 years ago, but, <laughs> um, and just the simplicity, like it's a super complex operations, but again, you are not dealing with, you know, it's, it's just, it's gravity fed for the most part. And I'm a mechanical engineer. So the, the way of like, how do we physically get this thing from here to there and keeping it cool enough and, you know, the way they use the seasons and the mountains and all that. I'm just, I, I love, I love learning more and more about that. That's awesome. Um, well, thanks. Thanks for sharing what's happening up in Vermont. Thanks for uh, continuing uh, to build the mystery around Switchback <laughs> Ale, um, but mostly uh, for for spreading the the, the good word of Rauk beer. So I'm excited to to see it in cans. I think that'll that'll be awesome. But thanks. Well, for, thank you, John. Yeah, thanks <laughs> for, for being same. on the show this week. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, what's your go-to everyday beer? Let me know by emailing. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can share your thoughts on Twitter while it still exists at John underscore Hall. All About Beer is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. You can just follow along at All About Beer. And of course, This Week in Rauk Beer is also online. The Facebook group is easy to search. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at TWRaukBeer. We're able to bring you the show each week, thanks to companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you would like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by Pro Brewer. We bring original articles to probrewer.com twice a week, covering issues that are important to the beer industry and aimed at helping breweries of all sizes understand different facets of the business. You can check out our articles on probrewer.com every Tuesday and Thursday, and you can visit the site daily for other original content and to stay connected with the beer industry. Please don't forget, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. You can search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. Don't forget, go visit allaboutbeer.com. As for this show, Nate Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>